Amen. Lord, what a, what a great truth, Lord, that all the things of this world are passing away. Nothing else is going to matter in eternity but where we stand with you through your Son. Lord, I pray that would be the prayer of all of our hearts tonight, that we would let go of the things of this world that are passing away and hold on to that which is eternal. Lord, we love you and praise you. You're such a great God. We pray right now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. Or if you need to take one home, you please be our guest and do that. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you, and if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Encourage you, pray about inviting somebody out. I know it's usually, we usually do it on uh, Christmas Eve, but it works out that uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, they consider Friday night to Saturday night their Sabbath. They don't want us using their facilities, so we're going to go ahead and just do it on on Wednesday. As part of that, what we'll do is uh, just really have a lot of Christmas music that evening, uh, a message, a a shorter message, but it'll be the the birth of Christ message. And I want to encourage you to bring a dessert next Wednesday, and we'll just kind of hang out afterward in fellowship. So it should be a neat time and a good time to invite people that mainly mainly, uh, only come to church at Christmas and Easter. So invite them for next Wednesday night, and they'll hear the gospel, I promise you. Okay? All right. Deuteronomy chapter 10. By the way, he's not in here right now, but it's Pastor Joe's birthday. And he's in hanging out with the kids, so when he comes back in, we'll have to embarrass him, all right? All right. He's 10 years younger than me, so we really have to embarrass him. All right. All right, Deuteronomy. Now, as we've been talking about so far, in Deuteronomy, it's the second giving of the law. They're about to enter into the land of promise, and Moses knows he's not going to enter in, and he's preparing the children of Israel, these three million people of this next generation, is about to enter in, preparing their hearts, reminding them of what they've already been through. Many of them went through it, and they were under the age of 20, so they're able to enter into the land of promise. Some of them were born during the trek in the wilderness, and he's reminding them of what Israel had already been through, and he's also preparing them for what was about to lie in front of them. He reminded them that they had been delivered out of bondage, they'd been delivered from their enemies, how God had led them and protected them and provided for them with manna dropping from the sky and water from the rock. And he talked about how the previous generation had not heeded the word of God. Now we got to chapter 9, and it reviews Israel's rebellion. We saw this last week, I titled the message, Remember the Lord, because he said it many times in the text, Remember the Lord your God, Remember the Lord your God, Remember the Lord your God. And amazingly enough, that even though they had just been delivered by the mighty hand of God from bondage in Egypt after 400 years of slavery, even though they had witnessed firsthand the plagues upon Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, even though they had heard God's voice clearly delivering His commandments from Mount Sinai. If you guys remember that picture again, bears repeating, God, literally the presence of God came down on Mount Sinai. And when the presence of God came down on Mount Sinai, the mountain was completely covered in smoke. The smoke and the fire was so thick that it ascended up into heaven. As that awesome scene was before them, the whole mountain began to quake. And as the mountain was quaking and shaking, again, it's interesting that every time you see, many times when you see God show up, guess what happens? Things start shaking. And you know what? He's the original king of rock and roll, right? I mean, it it literally rocked and rolled and shook, and it was shaking so hard, and, and it brought fear into the hearts of the people. When Jesus was crucified, there was an earthquake, and at Pentecost, the earth shook as well. So whenever you see the Lord moving in a mighty way, and even at His resurrection as well. So 
the earth is shaking and it's such an awesome sight that there's a, a fear that comes upon all the people. And then a trumpet begins to blow and it blows loud and long. And it's blowing very loud and very long and again getting the people's attention. And yet again, something that's very consistent in Scripture. When, when Jesus speaks in Revelation chapter 1, it says, the, speaking with the voice of God. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And it says his voice was the sound of a trumpet. Also, when Jesus was being crucified... And at Passover, they had something that started Passover. They blew something called a shofar. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you could hear the shofar being blown in the distance. And we also know from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that at the rapture of the church, that last trump, the trump of God, will call us up into His presence. And so on Mount Sinai, we see all these things happening. The trumpet is blowing, the earth is shaking, God's presence is before Him, He begins to speak, and the people are so petrified, they say, Moses... Don't let him talk to us anymore because if he does, we're going to die on the spot. We can't take it. You go up and talk to him, and when you're done, you just come back and tell us what he said, and that's good enough for us. So that's what happened. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and while he's up on Sinai, we know that he spent 40 days waiting upon the Lord, seeking God's face, waiting for God to give him the Ten Commandments. And at that very moment, they had just heard his voice. It's been less than 40 days because they had time to make the golden calf and already be dancing around it when he comes down. So who knows if it was a week or two weeks, but a short amount of time, the first two commandments they heard God speak was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and you shall make no graven image. And so what do they do just days later? They make another god, a graven image, and they start to worship a, just like one of the gods they had seen in Egypt, the place where they were in bondage, the place where they saw their gods were wiped out by the true and living God during the plagues. It's amazing the short-term memory of the children of Israel. That's why I keep saying, remember the Lord your God, remember the Lord your God, remember the Lord your God. Guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. Amen? And that's why we are to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together, and that's why we need to remember the Lord our God, because we too can, in a matter of hours, you know, days, short amount of time, we too can start to forget about the Lord in our daily walk. We can get you know, so caught up in our work, we can get so caught up in the trials and struggles of life that we don't seek the Lord. they quickly forgotten their previous bondage, the mighty hand of God, the voice of God, and instead they, they began to worship. And we know what happened, that Moses comes down and he saw what they were doing, what did he do? He threw what? He threw the tablets down and they broke into pieces. Now, it was frustration on Moses' part, but it was an illustration by God that they had broken the very law that he had in his hand. He takes the law and he throws it down. Can you imagine he comes down and sees this wild, drunken orgy going on around this golden calf? And his heart is so broken, he's been in the presence of God. And what's interesting, we talked about this last week, that they had seen the light from a distance, but when Moses came down, he was glowing in the dark, literally. His, his face was shining so bright, he had to put a veil over his face. They saw the light in a distance, but he had experienced the light directly, and it had transformed his life. And there's a lot of people today that know about God from a distance, but that's not good enough because you'll end up dancing around a golden calf. Amen? Instead, we need to experience and know Him in an intimate and a personal way ourselves that we might be glowing in the dark, that we might be the moon reflecting the sun, that they might see Jesus clearly in us. God offered to start over with Moses. You remember Moses, after this happened, he, he said, you know what, these people are a waste. I'm done, Moses. I'll start over with you. 
Instead of the children of Abraham, instead of Father Abraham, it can be Father Moses and you'll be the guy. What do you think? And I've talked about this, how that would be a great temptation when you got three million whiners in the camp. It'd be real easy to say, really, just me? That sounds pretty good. They'll all be my kids, I can raise them right, I won't have any whiners, that sounds pretty good. But no, Moses didn't do that. Moses instead, being a type of Christ, even though they were in rebellion, he interceded on their behalf and said, Lord, don't do it. Don't wipe them out for the sake of your people, for the sake of your name. The Egyptians will mock you, God. They'll mock you because they'll say, look, he delivered his people and he smoked them in the desert. Don't do it. Now, we know that it was not God's plan and God was not going to do it. He was testing Moses. And where the people had failed, Moses had succeeded. Where the people fell into idol worship, Moses continued to seek God and intercede on behalf of the people. So tonight, when we get to chapter 10, all of this has just happened. And now we're going to see God's plan for restoration. God's plan for taking people that have been in rebellion outside of God's will and bringing them back into a right relationship with Him. Now this is a clear picture of what happened to Israel at Sinai, but there's a great application for you and I today. For both the body of Christ in general, how do we get back to serving God? And for you and I as individuals, how do you get back into right fellowship with God? Because we're going to see it in tonight's text, God's plan for restoration. We're going to see first God's plan in the first 11 verses. One, we're going to, the first part of the plan is getting back to the Word. Some people will dispute this, but come talk to me anytime about it. Here's the reality. Every revival in the history of mankind has started with a renewed passion for God's Word. Every single time. Prayer is certainly a part of that. People seeking God's face. But it's when they rediscover the Bible that, rest, that revival comes. People's lives are being transformed. And we're going to talk about God's plan when someone's in rebellion. The first thing that must happen is they must be brought back to the Word. Second, they must realize that they have a sin problem and they must deal with it, both through sacrifice and through intercession. And thirdly, they must move forward to begin to grow again. Then the second half of the chapter, after seeing God's plan, we're going to see our response. And our response is very simple. It's obedience, reverence, and compassion. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at God's plan. God's plan for restoration, getting back to the Word. Look at verse 1. At that time, now what time? Moses having faithfully interceded on behalf of the rebellious children of Israel. Okay? So he's come back, he's, he's interceded on their behalf, and now the Lord is speaking to him. And look what the Lord says to him. God says to him, The Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. So he told him, I want you to take and make for me yet again stone tablets just like the ones that you have destroyed. The first step, again, in God's plan for restoration was to restore the word, restore his commands, restore the law. If there was going to be restoration, Israel had to get back to the word of God. You know what? If there's going to be restoration in the United States, we've got to get back to the Word of God. Amen? You want to have restoration in your marriage? Get back to the Word of God. You want to have restoration in your own walk with the Lord? Get back to the Word of God. We want to have restoration in our schools? Let's get back to the Word of God. Amen? Right now, they're trying to take the Ten Commandments out of every government building. They're trying to remove everything from everywhere. And you know what? It shows in what's happening in our country today. Amen? You know what? It wasn't that long ago that every kid read the Bible in school. Some of you sitting in the chairs right now read the Bible when you were in school. 
And now, you can teach anything but the Bible. And it's such a clear attack of the enemy. And you know what? We as a country are ceasing to be great because we are ceasing to be godly. We're ceasing to be good. We're ceasing to seek the Lord. You know what? Because our kids don't get it in school, moms and dads, that's all the more reason they need to get more of it at home. Amen? They need to hear the Word of God at home. They need to see it in, in your house. They need to see memory verses written down. They need to be spending time in the Word with them. And he said, you know what? You guys are in rebellion. You've been worshiping a golden calf. And the first thing that needs to happen is we need to get the law back in your hands. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we need to get God's Word back in their hands. And so he, Moses had broken the tablets. And again, it was a clear picture of how they had broken the Word of God. And so God says, restore them by bringing forth two new tablets of the law. God wanted His, original, His written Word to be the starting point for Israel's right walk with Him. You know what, I can tell you honestly all the time, when I do counseling, the number one thing I ask, how's your prayer life, how much time are you spending in the Word? And it's amazing to me how when people are spending time in the Word, they're doing great. People are spending time in prayer, doing wonderful. They might be going through trials and tribulations, but their walk with God is solid. I'm ama- it's not, it's not by, ch- by chance that I sit across from a married couple who's struggling big time. How often do you guys pray together? Well, we have never done that. You guys in the world? No, not really. Well, guess what? Invite, you invited them to the wedding, right? Invite them to your marriage, right? Bring Christ into your home. Same with you who are here. If you're struggling, as they rebelled against God, he said, I want them back in the word. And then he told them to make an ark of wood. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse two, and I will write on the tablets, the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. I will write, again, writing on the second tablets with his own hand. And notice exactly what he wrote the first time. Now I love this because he didn't say, oh man, they're really struggling with the first and second commandment. Maybe we should get rid of those. That's just too much for them. And you know, the culture's a little different today than when I originally thought about these commandments. So maybe I should give a new set. You ever talk to anybody that talks like that? I've had people tell me, Dude, it's 2004, man. Get over it already. Yeah, you know, we're into sexual freedom now, and you know, we do the thing, you know, and, and God's certainly not holding us to laws that are 6,000 years old, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And the same Bible that is in my hand is the same one that was delivered to the apostles, and it's 100% pure, and this is the foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so He said, look, He didn't say, you know what, let's cut down to eight commandments. Let's cut down to five. Let's eliminate a few, like we see in a lot of churches today. No, he said it's the same word. And he makes it very clear how important it is because he writes it in stone with his own hand. When something's written in stone, you heard that term these days? Is that written in stone? Where'd that come from? The Bible, amen? God wrote it, that's it. Yes, it's written in stone. It is concrete. It's not changing. The Bible is perfect, and God's Word is not to be changed. It is not to be, you know, to fit in with the current culture. His commands were written for our benefit and out of love for us. That's what we need to understand. If He changed the commandments, it would be that He loves us less. Well, you know what? I really don't care if they all drop dead at eight, so get rid of the adultery one. That's fine. Have all their marriages be destroyed. Have a bunch of kids who don't have parents. That'd be great. Let's do that. Let's just get rid of the... Well, wait a minute. It's because he loves us. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Not because he's a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from having a good time. Amen? 
And the commandments are love letters from God. And so he's not going to take commandments away because he knows it will bring us harm. You know, sometimes as parents, there's a temptation to lighten up on the rules. And sometimes there's a reason to be gracious and do that. But we should never lighten up on the rules to the point where we eliminate something because we're worried about our, how our kids are going to respond. I tell my kids all the time, I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next 10 years if that's what it takes. I love you enough that I will share the truth with you and I'm not going to compromise it because I love you and I know what's best for you. And in your 13-year-old mind or 11-year-old mind or 16-year-old mind, you might think you know better than dad right now. But you know what? We're going to do what God says and that's it. And sometimes they'll ask me, well, Dad, can't we do that? So what you're asking me to do is go contrary to the Bible. Do you think that's going to happen? You think we're going to be going with that program anytime soon? Kids are like, well, no, I don't think that's going to Okay, well, why did you ask me? But here's the thing. There's this temptation to lighten it down, and we think we're doing someone a favor when all we're really doing is bringing them harm. God's commandments are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God is living and breathing, and we don't want to dial it down. And then he says there, and you shall put them in the ark. Now, this is not Noah's ark. Amen? This is a box, not a boat. Right? And this is the the ark of the covenant. Now, the law was to be kept in the ark. Now, some people believe it was so that Moses wouldn't throw them down and break them again might be some truth to that right put them in the box all right Moses just when I give them to you just put them in the box put the lid on it and leave them alone right again he takes the law and he puts it in the box now what is the ark of the covenant those who are here when we were in exodus there's a clear picture of salvation it's a clear picture of Jesus Christ when you look at the ark In Exodus, we see that the ark is a type of Christ because it was made of wood, but then it was covered in what? Gold. In the Bible, wood is a picture of humanity. Gold is a picture of deity. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. It was made out of acacia wood. It's the only wood that grows in the wilderness that has thorns on it. There is no other wood grown in the wilderness that has thorns. Acacia wood does. Thorns are a picture or type of what? Sin. Thorns came into existence when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. He said, thorns and thistles. So prior to sin, there were no thorns. When Jesus was crucified, they put a crown of, what? Thorns on his head. So acacia wood was the only wood that had thorns on it, and it's the kind of wood that they used to make the ark. That's not by chance. It's also a wood that still today is being used by the Bedouin people, and what they do is it, it's a wood that when you break it open, it has a gummy substance inside of it that's used for a healing balm. And so when it's broken open, it brings healing. So it's something covered in thorns, a wood covered in thorns, humanity of Christ, thorns, picture of sin, when broken brings healing. That's a picture of Jesus Christ all the way. Amen? And that's acacia wood. You think there's any chance? When God created the heavens and the earth, He created everything, and He created acacia wood to be a picture of Himself. Now, what was in the ark? We know that the Ten Commandments were there. Something else. What was else? What else? Who remembers? Manna, and what else? Aaron's rod. Okay. Manna is the bread that came down from heaven, right? Jesus is the bread of life. 
And so the manna also is a picture of Christ. Aaron's rod, Aaron was the what? High priest. Who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. He's also the fulfillment of the law. So the, the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, and the jar of manna all point to Christ. The acacia wood, again, covered in thorns, broken open, healing balm, picture of Christ, covered in gold, picture of Christ's deity. And it doesn't end there. Because then on top of the ark was something called the mercy seat. Now, the ark was kept in the Holy of Holies. Those, again, we were here in Exodus, we talked about this. And it was a place where only the high priest went in on the Day of Atonement, and he made sacrifices for the children of Israel, for all of their sins. And so people came and made sacrifice. He would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was made of gold, and on top of the mercy seat were two what? Cherubim. Cherubim is another word for angels. They're on each end of the mercy seat were the two cherubim. Now, it's interesting that they sprinkled blood in the middle, and on the two ends were the angels. We'll talk about that in a moment. So it was a place of atonement. It was a place where God's glory dwelt. And God, God meets us at the place of mercy because the ark's contents condemn man. You cannot keep the law and go to heaven because you can't keep it. It's impossible. So the law was placed and the mercy seat was put upon on top of it. The mercy seat being a picture of the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that there was a time when people came, some people came and took the mercy seat off. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, don't turn there. But when the people removed the mercy seat at Beth Shemesh, they opened up the ark, it had been gone, they got it back, and they wanted to make sure the Ten Commandments were still in there. God had told them, don't ever take the mercy seat off. Because if you look at the law, apart from God's mercy, it equals death. And if we look at the law, apart from God's mercy, we'll never be good enough. And so they pulled the mercy seat off, and you know what happened? 53,100 people died on the spot. Why? God wanted to make it really clear that without His mercy... The law brings forth only death. Now, what I love about this, the last thing I want to point out here, is that when you take the blood and you sprinkle it on the mercy seat, you have blood in the middle and you have cherubim on each end, right? When they went to the tomb on Easter Sunday, when they looked into the tomb, what did they see on each end of the place where Jesus was once laying down. Angels clothed in white. And what was in the middle? The bloody rags that were once covering his body. And so when you look into the tomb, you saw a picture of what was on the mercy seat. And so we saw at the resurrection of Christ, the fulfillment of what the mercy seat had been pointing to for thousands of years. Don't you love the Bible? It just rocks, because here's the reality. You look at the Old Testament, and it's all pointing to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Verse 3, So I made the ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up on the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing. Again, it didn't change. The Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire, and the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. So he gives them the Ten Commandments. He takes them and puts them in the ark just as God had commanded him to. And they were to be obedient to the law going forward. Verse 5. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, put the tablets in the ark which I made, and there they are 
just as the Lord commanded. Now again, it is so key that the Scripture or the law be where it belongs or it will bring forth death. And as I said beforehand, we too need to make sure that we have it in our homes, that we have it that written by the hand of God, that it would touch and transform our lives. And when we see written by the hand of God, written in stone, it just points to, again, the inspiration of God's Word even today. Even though Jesus did not, or God the Father did not, or handwrite the Scriptures themselves, the Holy Spirit did, through the hands of the men, the authors that God used. That's the only way that the Bible can be 100% perfect because if man had anything to do with it, they'd have messed it up. Amen? And so God wrote it using the hands of men. Just like today, God uses the hands and the feet and the mouths of, and the voices and the, the abilities of men and women to speak to others. It's the same thing that happens today as God speaks when we just get out of the way. And the Scriptures are God-breathed and been given by divine inspiration. And getting right with God after a time of rebellion must always begin with the Word. It says in the Bible, In the days of King Josiah, the king of Judah, repentance and revival came to the people when they focused on God's Word again. There had been no Bible. Josiah finds the Word of God. Is that sad? He rediscovered the Word. He was the king of Judah. These are the children of Israel. These are God's kids, right? And they had lost the Bible. It was gone. They didn't have the Word of God anymore. And Josiah finds it, and he goes out and tears all the idols down, and there's revival in the land, and everybody starts returning to God. Why does your pastor have such an emphasis on God's Word in this church? Because we need to make sure we stay in it every day. Amen? And there's churches all over the place where people don't have their Bible. I don't get it. I visit churches before you walk in the parking lot. Nobody's got a Bible. That's not a good sign. Amen? Well, put the horns on the wall, call it the Elks Club, and be done with it, right? If it's going to be church, we've got to be in the Word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So number one, in God's plan for restoration, we must first get back to the Word. Second, our sin must be dealt with. Look at verse 6. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Benajakam to Maserah. Now, Benajakam means sons of sorrow. Maserah means correction. These guys went from sorrow to correction to discipline because they continually rebelled against God while they were wandering in the wilderness. Where Aaron died and where he was buried, and Eleazar, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. Now, I find this interesting because this is just something I saw when I was studying this, okay? Take it or leave it. Aaron's name, one of the translations for Aaron's name is teacher. That's one, there's several. And one of them is teacher. And Eleazar means helper. And I find it interesting that it says here in this text that Aaron died, and who took his place? Eleazar. And Jesus was often referred to as good what? Teacher. Good teacher. Teacher. They called him that all the time, right? And when he ascended into heaven, who took his place? in ministering to believers. The Holy Spirit, who's also another helper. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father and I will send you what? Another helper. Again, when I see stuff like that in the Bible, it rocks. I like, I mean, praise the Lord, right? So the teacher, the one called teacher left, and the helper came just as Jesus ascended into heaven and another helper was sent, the Holy Spirit. 
verse 7. From there they journeyed to Gudgoda, and from Gudgoda to Jothbatha, a land of rivers of water. Now, Gudgoda means happiness. That's interesting. And Jothbatha means perfection of the Lord. So, Eleazar became the priest, a type of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, right? And we are made perfect in Christ through the shed blood of Christ, but he seals us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, Eleazar takes over, and the first two places mentioned are called happiness and perfection in the Lord. Again, evidence of a Spirit-filled life. Verse 8, At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord, to minister to Him, and to bless His name to this day. Now, Israel needed to have their sin dealt with. And that could only happen through sacrifice. Sacrifices could only happen if there were priests. And so there needed to be a priestly tribe. And how were the Levites raised up? If you guys remember, when Moses came down and he saw the drunken orgy going on, he stopped and he said, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come to me. And there was one tribe where every single person came to him. Which tribe was it? The Levites. And from that point forward, they became the priestly tribe. Because not only did they come to Moses when he said, come to me, but then he handed them all swords. Or he said, grab a sword and put it on your side, and you go and kill all of those who continue to rebel against God. Now that's a heavy job. Because he told them to kill your brother, kill your cousin, kill your neighbor, kill them all. Those who reject God, God's judgment. Now, what does this tell us about the Levites? That they were not only those who ran to the Lord in times of trial, not only those who made an open and public confession of serving God, but they were willing to pull out the sword to deal with rebellion. The sword in the Bible is a type of what? God's Word. And I believe today that we are all called, the Bible tells us we are called to be a royal priesthood. God's called us all. We have one high priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't need priests in the church anymore because we've got a great high priest. Nobody else has to intercede for you. Jesus is doing that. You don't have to go to a man and have him tell you how many Hail Marys you have to pray to be forgiven because you've been forgiven as soon as you ask Jesus, right? Amen? You ask the Father through the Son, empowered by the Spirit. Amen? You don't need any of that other stuff. Those are all rituals created by man, not God. So we have one great high priest, but we are all priests in a sense. What does a priest do? A priest intercedes on behalf of the people with God, and he represents God to the people. So he represents the people to God, and he represents God to the people. And you know what? Today, as a royal priesthood, that's exactly what you and I do. We are to intercede on behalf of our unsaved family, our unsaved friends, our unsaved neighbors, and then we're to go out to the world and represent Christ to them. When they see us, they ought to see Jesus in us. And at the same time, we go and we represent them to the Lord. And we must be willing to take the sword in our hand and be willing to go to those who don't know God and share with them the love of God from the Word of God. Because the sword is a picture of the Word. So these guys were separated to be the tribe of ministry because they were willing to be used. You know what? The Bible says, one of my favorite verses, is that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth Seeking one, he can show himself strong on account of. God's eyes are looking all over the earth, looking for one person that says, here I am, Lord, use me. 
Here I am, Lord, send me. Use me. I'm a, Lord, I'm here. And you know what? That's a prayer God will answer every time. And it tells me that his eyes are searching to and fro because there aren't a whole lot of people standing up. And my prayer constantly is, Lord, let me be that man. Let me be the one that stands up and says, here I am, Lord, use me. My life belongs to you. It's not my own. You purchase it with a price. It belongs to you. Use me however you want to use me, Lord. You want to send me to China? Send me to China. Whatever you want to do with my life, do it. You want me to stay here and be salt and light at my job? Then do it. Here, my life belongs to you. The Levites were going to be used in a mighty way because when he said, who's on the Lord's side? They all went. Then he said, I want you to take the sword and wipe out rebellion. They said, yes, we'll do it. And they went. God's looking for people like the Levites today. Verse 9. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. Here's something else we have in common with the Levites. The Levites did not have any earthly inheritance. When they divided up the land with the 12 tribes, the tribe of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, his two sons, they split up and got an extra portion each. They split up that 12th, the, the Levites portion. And the Levites got nothing. Why? Because he didn't, God did not want the Levites consumed or concerned by the cares of this world. He wanted them with one focus, serving God full time. You know what? Our inheritance is not here. Amen? This stuff is all passing away. Heaven is our home. And he's telling them, you know what? Just like we as a priestly tribe, he wants their focus to be there. So too for us. He wants our focus to be totally on the Lord. So what, did the, what were the priest's job to do? What did the high priest do? The high priest would take the blood of an animal and he would make the sacrifice to make the propitiation for sin. For them, it was pointing toward the coming Messiah one day who would be the fulfillment. We know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when Jesus began his public ministry, when he was baptized in the Jordan River. The first thing said of Jesus in his public ministry was, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Millions of lambs by this point have, had, have been slaughtered and been sacrificed, all pointing to Jesus. For you and I today, we're not slitting the, the throats of lambs anymore, and aren't you glad? Amen? Praise God for that. I probably would not be a, a priest. Pastor, teach the Bible, good. Slit lamb's throats, bad. Bad. I don't want to do that, right? I'm not interested. But the reality is that what this did is it brought restoration. And so not only did there have to be a return to the Word in God's plan for restoration, but there also had to be intercession, and there also had to be, be uh, sacrifices made, and for that to take place, there had to be a priestly tribe. Now next, they needed to move forward with God. As, as at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord did not choose to destroy you. So Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. The first time he went up to get the Ten Commandments, the second time he goes up to pray for them. First time, he's getting the Word of God delivered to him. The second time, he's praying for the people that they would be spared. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that you may go in and possess the land which, which I swore to give, swore to their fathers to give to them. Now I love this, because this is really a clear picture of the grace of God. Because he says, okay, begin your journey again. So, they rebelled, they're around the golden calf, they denied God completely, he came down, he had to bring judgment, 
Moses goes and intercedes on their behalf. He comes back down with the new Ten Commandments. He puts them in the ark, the same Ten Commandments, again, in another tablet. He puts them in the ark, and then he comes down and says, Okay, guys, we're going to head off. A picture of the grace of God. Because they were all guilty, weren't they? But Moses interceded, and God said, Even though you've blown it, I'm not done with you. How many of you, that's an encouraging message for you tonight? Even though you've blown it, God's not done with you. Even though they were worshiping around a golden calf, he still was going to use them if they would let him. He said, I want to use you. I still have a heart for you. After getting back to the word, having their sin problem dealt with, it was time for them to move on. God had a place to take them, and they had to be busy about his work. And getting right with God after a time of rebellion always comes to the place of growing again. You know what, guys? It does no good for the kingdom if we come back to the word and we have Jesus interceding on our behalf, but then we refuse to be used by God. Alan Redpath said, you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. You can be born again, got your get out of hell free card, and have no impact on the world. Now, I'm not so sure I totally track with that because the Bible says by your, what? Fruit, they shall know you. And if there's no fruit, if someone says, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, right? You've got to stick out in your backyard, right? And you tie something to it to hold it up, and it's supposed to be an apple tree. After four years, you don't have any apples. That's not an apple tree. It's a stick, right? And sometimes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but there's no fruit. Now again, only God can judge a man's salvation. But here's the reality. I don't want to stand before all God, Almighty God having lived a life and never bearing any fruit. Because the Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. Amen? And so... I think it's so key that we do more than know about God and know that there is a God and believe that there is a God and trust that we've been born again and ask Him to forgive us for our sins. But now what? That's not the end. That's the beginning of our walk with God. Amen? God's given you gifts. Let's use them. We want to see Santa Cruz turned right side up. We've all got to step up and use the gifts that God has given us. God wants us to continue on and to move forward. So God's plan for restoration. Get back to the Word. Deal with your sin problem. And move forward and begin to grow again. Now, our response. How do we respond to this? Look at verse 12 and 13. Again, our response. What does God want us to do? He's speaking to Israel, but this applies to us as well. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. People struggle with this. This means to have reverential honor toward God. Not a fear that causes you to shrink back but a heart that so honors God that it will break your heart to even think about offending Him. Can I tell you that you'll know that you're growing in your relationship with God by the distance of time between when you sin and when you repent? The closer you get to the Lord, the shorter and shorter that time becomes. It can go from being what once was months or weeks to days to hours to minutes to moments. And what happens is you're so in love with the Lord and you're walking so close to God that when you sin, it just breaks your heart that you've grieved His, you've grieved his heart. How many know what I'm talking about? You, you, break, you just, oh, I, man, I can't believe I've done that. Right? Maybe I'm the only one. I've actually hit myself when I sinned before. I'm not recommending this. But you know what I mean? You sin, you go, what was I thinking? Have you ever done that? Am I the only one? What, what's wrong with me? Lord, forgive me, Right? And it's, you know why? Because it breaks my heart. Not because I'm afraid God's going to smoke me, because I know that He loves me and He's promised me heaven and He's been my best friend. The Holy Spirit's living inside of me. But when I sin, it breaks my heart because I've grieved His. Because I love Him so much. 
but brought to tears over my sin. Lord, oh, forgive me. And so he says here, fear the Lord. Then he says, to walk in his ways, to live our lives after the pattern he has set for us. Walk his road, not ours. Again, guys, it's not to go to church, pray the prayer, get to get out of hell free card and go live like the world. You know that we've talked about the spiritual splits before. You know, one foot in the world and another foot in the kingdom of God. That starts to hurt, especially if you're a guy, right? Now you don't like that. But here's the reality. We can't do that. And God's heart is not that we try to go to heaven but be as much like the world as we can on the way there. He says, walk in all of his ways. If you believe that God loves you, you'll run to him, not run from him. You'll trust him. Lord, you know what's best for me? Lord, I trust you with my whole heart. He says, to walk in his ways and to love him. A love that comes from a decision to set our affection on him. The Bible says, choose today whom you will serve. We do make choices every day whom we're going to serve. Going to serve our flesh or we're going to serve the Lord. And it's often moment by moment, again, where choices come up. Am I going to honor God or am I going to do what my flesh wants? You've heard me say when I was a youth pastor, you got the fleshly tiger and the spiritual tiger battling for control of your life every day. Which one wins the battle? The one you what? The one you feed the most. And if you feed yourself your flesh all day, you watch 19 hours of TV, uh, right? Never open up your Bible. I'm amazed. I'm just really struggling with my temper. When's the last time you read your Bible? It's been a long time. Really struggling with lust. Yeah, I've been sitting at home watching, you know, Baywatch all day. I can't figure out why I'm struggling with lust. Well, duh, right? And the reality is that we put ourselves in the position where we're going to fall and struggle with sin, and we don't spend time with the Lord, and we wonder why we're struggling. He says, choose to love Him. Lord, I love you. You're first in my life, and you know what's best for me, so I'm just going to stay away from the stuff that you've told me to. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Do all that we do as service under Him. You know what? I remember I had a job for a, a, a while. I was working in a lumberyard. Man, I hated that job. But I was working in a lumberyard, and one of my jobs was to go out in a shed out in the back, and we'd pull the bark off a tree. It was rough. I didn't like that job much. But I remember that when I didn't like this job, one time there was a resaw, and you, you take the, the, the hard edge off of the wood, and, and it was 100 degrees out, and there's no wind, and you had to wear like a big hood and gloves and the thing, right? And I usually like heat. But I'm talking, you know, you're out there a couple hours, you're about to fall out. They make you drink a bunch of water. Well, it was so hot, I took my jacket off. I was pretty new, and the guy goes, dude, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I go, dude, it's like 105 out here. I'm going to fall over and die. He said, just, I'm okay. All right. You'll only do it once. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, a splinter about that long and about that wide flew off and went right through my arm all, you know, because when it flies, it, it's like a spear. I hated that job. And... <laughs> And then, and then when I wasn't doing that, I was sweeping. I mean, for hours. It was one of those jobs, you look at the clock, and you look back, and you think it's been an hour, and it's been four minutes. I'm getting paid like two cents a day. I'm going to be here forever, right? And you know what God put on my heart? Because you're thinking, what does that got to do with the verse you just read? Let me, let me tell you. You know what God put on my heart? God put on my heart, you do this job for me. When you go, you do it for me. I'm your boss. You do this job as unto the Lord. Everything we do, we do to serve God. When you go to school, do your schoolwork as unto the Lord. When you go to work, do your work as unto the Lord. 
You know, kids, if you're here, you know, kids, you're cleaning your room, clean your room as unto the Lord. Do everything you do as unto the Lord, that He might be glorified and honored in it. And that's what He's telling them here. Verse 13. And keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. Keep the commandments, not only to know the Word, but to keep it. Not just to have it in your head, but to have it change your heart. And here's the kicker, because it's for your what? It's for your good. Again, He's not testing you to to make you suffer to prove you love Him. You know what's interesting? Every other quote God, there aren't any others, but every other quote God that people serve takes from you. Every other God, take, 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 air and love, right? Our God, give, 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 give. Amen? He loves you for God so loved the world that He what? He gave. He gives and gives and gives. And so when He gives us even the commandments, it's because He loves us and it's for our good. And so remember that next time you're struggling. Well, that just doesn't seem fair. It's for your good. I'm God, you're not. I get it, you don't trust me. Amen? So when you're talking to your kids sometimes, you know, you've heard me say, why can't I juggle knives? Because you're going to get, but it's fun, right? No, it's going to lop off fingers. But they don't get it because they're five. And we don't get it because compared to God, our IQ is negative a million, right? And God's perfect and he knows what's best. He's like, look, it's going to hurt you. Don't do it. And so we need to trust God. Walk in obedience to him. It's for your own good. When we obey Him, we share His fellowship, we enjoy His blessings, and we avoid the sad consequences of disobedience. The Bible tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law, and if we love God, we'll serve Him. Verse 14 and 15. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is to this day. He tells them, you know your God that you serve? He created everything. You ever think about that? You ever look up in the sky and my best friend just spoke and put all that up there? Amen? Can I encourage you to do that? I, when I was a youth pastor, people used to talk, you know, we had gangbangers and stuff came to our youth group. My homie got my back. I'd say, you know what? Creative universe got my back. How about that? My, my homie created yours. Amen? He, so don't even talk to me. So, you know, they start talking about all this stuff. But here's the reality. Look up and realize, and he's saying, look, your God put the stars in the sky and the heavens above the heavens, which is the third heaven, which is where the angels dwell, which is where we will be one day. And he's saying, he put it all up there. And he's God over all of that. And you know what he says in verse 15? And he chooses to love you guys. He loves your parents, and he loves you. You are his inheritance. He's speaking to Israel here, but guess what? Who's his inheritance today? We are. As Christians, we are his inheritance. We are his treasured possession. We are the pearl of great price that he sold everything so he could come and purchase us. He redeemed us back from sin. And I'll tell you what, that ought to bring a great joy to our hearts because he chose us. He chose us. Being chosen is a great privilege, but it also has a responsibility. Israel had a special calling to walk in obedience, to reflect to the world their relationship with God, and the same is true of us. We've been chosen, and we should reflect the Lord. Verse 16. How do, you, how do they reflect Him? Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. Therefore, because of God's special blessing, His calling, His command upon Israel, circumcise your hearts. Now, all the male children among the Jews had to be circumcised on the eighth day. It was a covenant 
between the Jewish people and God that they would remember every day the covenant they made before the Lord. It was a covenant that they would share with their wife one day. It was a covenant with their parents when they're, you know, changing their baby's diapers. They constantly remembered that we've made this covenant to God, and the man never got away from it. It was a part of him. But he says, you know what? That outward circumcision isn't enough. Just having outward rituals fulfilled isn't enough. There needs to be a circumcision of your heart. The Jews were related so much to circumcision that they called the Gentiles uncircumcised. Remember, what did David say about Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? Because circumcision to them meant follower of God. Uncircumcision meant not a follower of God. But I want to make something really clear here. That he tells them, circumcise your heart. Just having outward rituals is not good enough. And it takes an inward change. Circumcision physically was only a picture of what God wanted to do spiritually. Outward rituals are not enough. There must be an inward change. And sadly, people today are trusting in outward rituals. Every time we have a baptism, somebody brings a friend who's got no clue who God is, who wants to be baptized just in case. We have people call us at the church office. Hey, you know, do you guys baptize people down there? Absolutely. Well, I want to get baptized. Well, why? Well, just in case this whole God thing's real. Well, that ain't going to get it. I can baptize you upside down, inside up, you know. I'm, we can baptize you 40 different ways. We can do it all, you know. It ain't going to do you any good. We can baptize you in all the different names you want to use. It doesn't make any difference. You can't baptize for dead people, you know, like the Mormons do. So here's what, we're, here's what I'm saying is outward circumcision, outward baptism, outward confirmation, outward church membership, outward participation in the Lord's Supper is not going to get you into heaven. Now, some of those things are very important and things that we should do, but our assurance and our seal of salvation isn't a physical ceremony, but it's the spiritual work of the Holy Spirit transforming our lives. Amen? And he says, guys, all right, you need to circumcise your heart. Your heart's got to change. Outwardly is not good enough. If being outwardly good was good enough, then a lot of the Mormons would get into heaven. You know, we grade on a curve. Well, they don't drink coffee. They're going to heaven, right? I mean, we try to grade things. He's saying, no, it's not outward rituals. It's not, we're not going to pull out our baptismal card. There it is. See, got, right? Got baptized. Pastor Dave in the ocean, man. I was there. I got a picture. You want to see it? Right? That isn't doing you any good if your life hasn't changed. And that's what he's telling them. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin that leaves it, leads us and then is a down payment on heaven that must be in our lives. We're almost done. Verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So the God you serve, He is God. If you didn't know that, He alone is God. All other gods bow to the true and living God. And he's the Lord of lords, which means he's the king of kings. He's the king over all the kings. All the leaders of this world will bow to the true and living God. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the strangers, giving him food and clothing. He shows no partiality. He takes no bribe. He treats everybody the same. And he's a God of compassion. You know, the Bible tells us that pure and undefiled religion is to minister to the orphans and the widows. And it says here, that he ministers justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. This is a warning here about us falling into spiritual 
arrogance. He's talking to Israel, but he's saying, look, you guys were strangers. You guys were in bondage in Egypt. You've been delivered. Don't all of a sudden think you're better than somebody else. And we, we need to not fall in that same trap and become spiritually arrogant. Well, I've been born again. I remember I was like you. I remember I was walking around sin like you. I remember I used to be a sluggard, and I, you know, right? No, we need to look at them and say, you know what? Jesus loves them, and we need to reach out to them. We need to minister the love of God to them. Amen? And he's a God of compassion. And God desires that we walk not only in obedience to him and have reverence for him, but we have compassion on the world around us. Love the stranger because God loves them. Last three verses. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. Fear God. Serve God. Hold fast to God. Then he says there, He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. He is your praise. Can I tell you something? Let me just share my heart with you just for a second, okay? I know that we're all right. I want us to worship more as a church. Amen. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. Amen. You know what, though? There's a temptation sometimes. I want to come up here and just get you guys to start clapping or something, but then I I thought, I don't want you to do it because I'm contriving you to do it. I don't want you to do that. I want you to worship because you love God and you can't stand it. Amen? I want it to come from the depths of your hearts. Now, I don't want it to be some holy roller, people rolling on the ground and waving flags. We're not doing that here. Amen? Why? Because we don't want the attention taken off of God. If we're doing things and people are looking at you, then they're not looking up. Amen? But I don't want us to, you know, sometimes people come in here and they're afraid if I raise my hand. You know what? In the Bible, he says, lifting holy hands. Amen? It's okay to lift your hands. It's okay to lift your voice. Don't draw attention to you. You be focused on God. But I'll tell you what, that's something that is a burden on my heart and has been for months. I want to see us worship God more. Amen? So if you've been wondering, oh man, nobody raised their hands, you go right ahead, okay? And you know what? I'm going to have to come up here on a Sunday and just stand up here like this for the whole time. So everybody knows. It's okay. Amen? But he says here, what does he say? He is your praise. Amen? And you know what? When you're in love with the Lord, you want to praise Him. I love it when I'm... It doesn't happen very often. I wish it happened more. But I love it when I'm somewhere and I just hear someone singing a praise song. Like, man, that's awesome. I do it sometimes in the grocery store. People think I'm nuts. But that's okay. Amen? But He is our praise. Amen? Is He worthy to be worshipped and to be praised? Should we praise Him more? Can, if we praise Him till we died, would, can we praise Him enough for what He's already done, let alone what He's going to do? No. And He says here, He's your praise. And I have such a burden for us. As, again, I want to make it really clear. I don't want it to be some experience that takes our eyes off of God. That's not my heart. You know that, okay? We're not going to do anything out of order. But at the same time, we don't want to be so ordered that we're dead. Amen? I can't raise my hands. So I'm like, stop it. Worship the Lord. It's okay. Amen? Let's worship God in spirit and truth. He is our praise. He says there, He has done great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. You know what? He's the only one who's awesome. People toss that word around a lot. Who's awesome? Nobody but God. Amen? People toss the word great around. Who's great? Nobody but God. You know what? Nobody's even good but God. Amen? They called him good teacher, and he says, Why do you call me good teacher? There's none good but God. Amen? And he said, he's done it all. And you know what? I believe one of the reasons people don't praise enough and worship enough is they forget what God has done for them. And he's reminding them there, he says, look, he's done all the great and awesome things. Everything you've seen, he did it. So, praise him. 
Amen? The same ought to be true for us. Remember what he's done for you. Last verse. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in the multitude. They went down to 70 persons in rebellion, and they came out with 3 million people. How do you go into 70 slaves and come out as 3 million people? The only way that happens is God's with you, even in the midst of a trial. Amen? And God grew them, even in the midst of it. Our God is creator of all. He's greater than all. He's mighty. He's awesome. And yet he shows compassion and love. And he's calling us to do the same. So in closing, God's plan for restoration. Get back to the word. You're not as close to God as you used to be? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen? You're not as close to God as you used to be? Crack open your Bible. All right? Second of all, our problem of sin must be dealt with. If you have sin that's unconfessed, you need to come before God, even if you've been born again. Your sin's forgiven and you're going to heaven, but when you sin, you break fellowship with God and you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Amen? Cast me not away from your presence. Renew a right spirit with me. Draw me back into fellowship with you. And then we need to move forward and begin to grow again with God. Christianity is a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. You're either getting closer to God or you're getting further away. You're, you are not the same place you were with God a year ago. You're either closer than you were or you're further away. Amen? And we either, if we're spending time with the Lord, we're going to grow. And if we're not, we're going to fall away. How do we respond to all God has done for us? We obey Him. We have reverence for Him. And we have compassion for those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love You and we praise You and we worship You, Lord. You're worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, to have Your name lifted up. You're a great and an awesome God. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that when we fall into rebellion, you are so nearby, so willing to restore us to right fellowship. Lord, I pray if there are people here tonight that are struggling in their walk, that, Father, you give them a renewed passion for your word, a great desire to open up your Bible. And, Lord, when they do, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, it would just be so rich and they would grow so much in their walk with you. I pray also, Lord, that for those who may have undealt with sin, that they would come with confessing hearts, that they need to go to a brother or a sister, another person, and repent, and have restoration, Lord, I pray you would move in their hearts, and in my heart as well. And then, Lord, I pray also that we would continue to grow. We wouldn't be satisfied with a stagnant walk, but, Lord, we have a passion and desire to become more and more like you every day. Lord, may we walk in obedience. May we have reverence for you. May we have compassion on those around us. May we be a reflection of you to a lost and dying world. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close with a worship song.